Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live podcast coming to you from beautiful Kirkwood neighborhood, which is Midtown Atlanta adjacent. Mid, uh, Metron people, would you please give the podcast people a big welcome? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, I'm not considering the teaching I did last week, which was really good. We had about f- close to 500 views last week, so that was that was nice. Um, but uh, I'm not considering that part of this series. That was a little bit of a little bit of a timeout. So we're calling this part three. Um, the title of it is "The Spirit World Realities on Earth as It Is in Heaven." And um, the main text that I've used for as the anchor for this series is this one. It's Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses two and three. And I've shown it to you in three or four different translations. This is out of the Living Bible, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, but let me just show you these two verses. Uh, Paul says, 14 years ago, I was taken up to heaven for a visit. You know, in the Message Bible, he says, I was, what do you say, I was kidnapped and taken into paradise. It's very colorful language. Um, he said, don't, don't ask me whether my body was there or just my spirit, for I don't know. That's the main point of this teaching this month. You know, in the King James, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell, only God knows. And the reason I think that's important is um, the spirit world is real, the physical world is real. As we become more and more evolved, those two worlds eclipse one another and they come into line so that the limitations of the physical world do not apply to us. We learn to just walk in the miraculous as it's just like second nature. So again, he says, don't ask me whether my body was there or just my spirit, for I don't know, only God can answer that. Uh, but anyway, there I was in paradise and heard things so astounding that they are beyond a man's power to describe or put in words. And anyway, I am not allowed to tell them to others. Now, um, this morning I was thinking about this. There's a phrase that you hear in a lot of... Um, you hear in a lot of uh, Eastern religions, in some of the uh, Western, what many people would call cults. Like one of them is called Ekankar, and they, they practice astral projection. But I looked it up today on Wikipedia, and they were, uh, astral projections found in a lot of, um, a lot of the religions, Hinduism, Taoism. And when it comes to Christianity, this passage is mentioned. It says that Paul practiced astral projection when he he said, something happened to me, but I can't tell if, if I was in the body or out of the body. Have you ever had a dream that was so real you wake up in the morning and you have to really convince yourself that that didn't happen? Sometimes somebody does something to you in your dream and you're mad at them and they don't even know. And you're like, you know what you did. You were there. No, I don't think I would. Um, yes, you were. You were right there with my third grade teacher right before she flew away to Mars. I s- distinctly remember. Um, but what he's talking about here is more than just a dreamlike state. He's saying 
that the spirit world and the natural world are real things, but he's so comfortable in both of them that he said, I don't know if this thing happened, uh, if I was in the body or out of the body. And as I was thinking about it, there's actually another time that this, well, something similar happened to Paul. One thing we see, um, you know, after Jesus was in his glorified body after the resurrection, he would sort of appear and disappear, kind of walk through walls. Uh, but um, there were other people in the scriptures who, who experienced what we would call translation. Translation is when your physical body is in one place and is sort of teleported to another place. And one of them is like in the eighth chapter of Acts. It says that um, there was a great revival in Samaria and that uh, Paul was there. And uh, no, it wasn't Paul. It was Peter who was there. My bad. Because Paul wasn't converted until chapter 9. So this is chapter 8. Um, but Peter was um, ministering to an Ethiopian man. Remember how they were? the, the man was in a chariot and he was reading a, a, a scroll and uh, he's asked him, do you know what you're reading? And he says, no, I don't have anybody explain it to me. So he explains it. And then the man says, uh, he says, can you baptize me? And so he takes him down in the water and he baptizes him. And the next verse, it says that then he found himself. Is it Philip or Peter? It's Philip. Thank you. As I was saying that, I thought that's not right. And thank you for not correcting me, but having the answer. I knew when I was saying it's like Peter, Paul, Philip. At least right now I can blame it all on the meds. That's the meds talking. I knew that was a right. I was saying Paul, but I thought, no, Paul didn't get trans to converted until chapter 9. Philip, thank you, people who went to Sunday school. Um, yes, it was Philip. <laughs> that's like my story about the guy that's prophesying, and he says, as I was with Joshua and crossed the Red Sea, so I will be with thee. As I was with Joshua before the burning bush, so I will speak to thee. And he gives this long, long prophecy, sits down, stands back up. Behold, tonight the Lord hath made a mistake. Behold, it was Moses. It was not Joshua. Was <laughs> but you know, as long as I've been teaching, even now, sometimes before I minister on something, I'll have to go back and look. Wait, wait, was that Elijah or Elisha? It's a lot of material in there. Anyway. Um, yes, it was Philip. So he says, can anybody forbid water that we baptize this man? And then it says, and Philip suddenly found himself in another city entirely called Azotus. And there's even uh, some references in the Old Testament of people being translated. What Paul's talking about here is not necessarily translation because he's saying, I don't know that, I, don't, I, I can't tell the difference between my spirit body and my physical body. Uh, some people in the New Age would call it the astral body. He said, to me, it's just all me. I can't tell. Um, over the years, uh, I've, I've never asked for this, but I've encountered people who uh, have told me about my aura. Now, some people dismiss this kind of thing. They say, that's nonsense. But what I have noticed consistently is everybody, this, this would be like over different periods of intervals of 10-year period, Five years, 15 years. And somebody will say, wow, you've got a really bright aura. And uh, I'll say, uh, they'll say, do you know what color it is? I'll say, is it blue? And they go, how did you know? I said, because I've had people tell me all my life that my aura is blue. I don't know what that means. It just means that I've heard this before. 
And it's an interesting confirmation because these are people who, you know, there'd be no way they would know each other or know that somebody had ever said it to me. So whether it's your body of light or your soul, like sometimes if you look in Wikipedia under astral projection, it'll use the word soul travel. But the other time that I can think of that Paul did something similar, you know how I refer to that story a lot about how in in 1 Corinthians, Paul addressed this really icky relationship between, we're not sure what it was, it was a man and I don't know if it was his mother or mother-in-law or stepmother, whatever it was, it was something that was forbidden. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul retracts the punishment that he had uh, said that the church should put on this man. They said, let him back in, lest he be taken, overtaken with too much sorrow. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians, what he says is, I have visited your meeting about this, and I've already judged it in my spirit. Meaning, I didn't come there in the flesh, but I was at your meeting. I was at a fly on the wall. I, I mean, I was a fly on the wall. Um, if I may refer to something for the, if, if we have somebody keeping count, I think this is the bazillionth and 75 fifth time I've said this. But in 1985, I was given a prophecy that basically I started Church of the Now out of that prophecy. And in the prophecy, it says, people will say of your, people will say of you, surely the man has been in my bedchamber for nobody knows that I've said this or done this. And it would be overstating it to say that for the last 40 years, nearly 40 years, somebody said that to me every week, but Two or three times a month now, I will probably hear somebody say, it's just like you were in my house. Or What I used to hear a lot is people say, did you ride in the car with us to church this morning? Because you went down the list of everything we talked about and addressed it. Now, I don't, I don't have any recollection of being there. So I don't think I'm riding in your car with you. But it's just interesting. That's the, that's the terminology that people use. They'll say, it's like you were in my house. Believe me, I'm not trying to spy on you. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, snap, I didn't know he was in my house. This, this changes everything. How do we, can we get a block on that? <laughs> um, I, but I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not a voyeur like that. Uh, it's just interesting that that's, the, that's what the prophecy said, and that's how people will confirm it back to me, and they have for decades now. It's like you were in my house. And what's interesting is, it happens now with new people that I meet. Uh, I'm, I, this people will say it to me that I only know through Facebook. I've never met them personally. And they'll say, especially when I was writing a meditation every day, twice a day, people would say, when I get up in the morning, it was like you heard everything I said the night before. Now, does that mean I'm traveling to all these places? I'm not aware that I am. Um, but there's something miraculous to it. And that's Really what I want to get across to you on a practical level this week, miracles are normal. Miracles are, they, they should not, it should not surprise you when a miracle happens. It surprise you, it should surprise you when you go through a day and don't have a miracle. They should become so second nature to you that you're like, well, of, of course I got a miracle. Of course that happened. And, um, even today I was just this morning, I was kind of going through my mind and thinking about different things that have happened. I would really consider bona fide miracles. Some of them I've told you about. Some of them I may not have. I don't know. Uh, 
But I remember um, I had a couple of students in my Bible school back in the early 80s who, when they had that Washington for Jesus thing where they had like 500,000 people marched on Washington, they um, can you open that? They took a um, uh, like a little trailer up to Washington, and they just wanted to feed people for free, people who had come there for free. So what they did is they opened up a little window, and they they bought, you know, endless amounts of loaves of bread, and they took just very easy things like peanut butter and jelly, pimento cheese, chicken salad, just things that they could slather on a piece of bread and hand it to the next person. And sure enough, as soon as the word got out that there were free sandwiches, there were lines around the block. And I remember uh, this one woman telling me, she was an older woman who was in the Bible school, and a uh, very reputable woman. I um, leased a house from her for a while. And she said, all I can tell you is we were there for nearly a week. And she said, I don't know how much bread and spread we bought, but I can tell you is, for the week, it never ran out. And she said, the only way I can ex- describe it to you is I would take the chicken salad, I'd spread it on, because we were just like feeding hundreds of people in an hour. You'd put the pieces of bread together, hand it to somebody, and you turn back and the thing is still full. And it was like a, a biblical miracle. I remember having a youth pastor one time who told me, uh, some of you all remember Greg Jennings, he said that when... Um, when they would have new people came to Teen Planet, which was the, the youth ministry then, they would give them all free pizza. And one night he bought extra pizza, but they had so many. This is back when they were, you know, there'd be like 500 kids there on a Wednesday night. And uh, he said, we did not have enough pizza. And he said, all of my staff said, don't give a pizza tonight because we don't have enough. And he said, we have enough. Go get me a knife. And he said, they everybody clammed up on me. They were just like, they're just not going to bring me a knife. And he said, I remembered your story about the chicken salad and peanut butter and pimento cheese that never ran out. So I went to my office. Nobody would help me out. I went to my office and got some scissors out of my drawer. I started cutting slices of pizza. And he said, we fed everybody that night. We gave, we gave close to 100 kids pizza that night. And he said, we did not have that much. And he said, when it was when the person said to me, that's all we have, that was the last one. So I think, well, that's, those are bona fide miracles. I mean, that, that's a suspension of natural law. Um, I remember something, and I'm sure I've shared this with you, but I have no explanation for this. But a friend of mine who used to be a Buddhist, who then got, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and was like a tongue-talking Pentecostal. When you combine Buddhism and Pentecostalism, that's very next-level stuff. And uh, so he and I used to go on these pilgrimages, and <laughs> he would say, he was unusual, but he would say, let's, let's just pray in the Spirit the whole way to Gatlinburg. And we're like, okay. But he had chanted for years. I hope he's not watching today. He had chanted for years, and, it, so, and his prayer language sounded like that. He'd be like, and after two or three hours, I'd be like, dude, you're going to have to... <laughs> 
I'm going to have to give you some a new prayer language. You're going to throw in some Shondai's or something in there because you're, you're, you're wigging me out with it. But when I would be with him, these sort of miraculous things would happen. And on this particular trip, we had parked in a space where um, I don't think we were supposed to have been parking. We, had, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and there was uh, we had parked in like a reserve parking space. And um, the owner of the place was furious with us. He said, you've got to move that car right now. So, I mean, he he pulled a gun on us. He said, I get so sick of people coming here thinking that you can just park in my space. And we're like, we'll take care of it. Do not shoot us. Sorry. Because I had already told him, I said, I don't think we're supposed to be parking here. He's like, shouldn't that a bucket of the other one? I'm like, well, you can speak in tongues, but it says do not park in this spot. <laughs> So, anyway, we go, uh, we get the car, we're rushing out, we come backing out, and there's, I mean, there's literally no space. It's like a, it's like this tight hairpin turn that you have to back out of. And suddenly we see this car driving through this alleyway like it's running from, they might have been running from that guy with the gun, I don't know, but there was a car you can't believe how fast it was coming toward us. And there was no place to move. It's like it was, it was coming into T-bone us. So we're like this and I'm, I'm on the bleeding side. You know, here comes the car. There was no time to do anything. We, we both just went, Jesus, because the car was right there on us. We opened our eyes and the car was on the other side of us. And so we both just sat there quietly for a second and I said, did you just see what just happened? And he said, man, it's like it went right through us. I said, well, where else could it have gone? There's no room for us. And that that one was a trip. Now, what was that? Was that, was that the eclipse of the spirit world and the physical world together? I don't know. There might have been times in your life where things have happened. That you think, I don't have a, I don't have an explanation for that, but that was really unusual. Um, uh, I remember, um, I know it's funny you're here today because I remembered this, something that Bobby told me one time, Bobby McKibben, because he said that, um, you know, sometimes before people pass away, they'll start seeing relatives, they'll start having like, what people think is hallucinations of relatives. I don't think it's hallucinations. I really think it's people from the other side who are coming to, to get them. And I remember Bobby telling me that um, when his brother passed away years ago, he said, you know, I was just thinking, my brother and I, about a week ago, were sitting on the front porch of the house, and we looked down in the street. He said, my brother went like that, like jerked his head around, and he said, what is it? And he said, I could swear I just saw Mama standing beside that car. He said, and the, the mother had died years earlier. He said, I, of course I know it's not, but I'm telling you, she was standing right there. And like 48 hours later, he was on the other side. Um, you know, if you keep, <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing about it, but if you keep seeing relatives show up in your dreams, you might need to say, I'm not ready to go yet or something because somebody may be trying to come get you. 
Man, if you see Jesus, I, you know, I'm gonna go get. My, I'm gonna go ahead and get my suit pressed because <laughs> I have found that's typically the case when somebody says Bishop Jesus walked in my room. Or something, I'm like, right, row. I'm like, I, I don't know. I might can keep you here a little longer than Uncle So and So, but uh, once you see, you know, how are you gonna keep them on the farm once they've seen Jesus? Anyway, um, those are just things, and you you might have stories, uh, things that have happened that you're like, I don't know what that was about. I don't have a definition for it. I don't have a label for it, but it was something. Now, I'm going to show you this next passage, which could sound completely unrelated to what I'm talking about, but it's not. Everything is everything. Everything's connected to everything else. And with my current situation, I'm trying to turn this into as much of a teachable moment as I can. You know, if something's going to happen to you, you might as well learn from it. You know, go ahead and graduate summa cum laude from the school of life. And... um because I, you know, the, the theory is that there's two hemispheres of the brain and that the, um, left side of the brain is more analytical, uh, more factual, uh, more finite and that the left side, the left hemisphere controls the right hand and that the, uh, right side of the brain is more verbal, more, uh, have to do with feelings, and it can, it uh, controls the left hand. So my whole life, I've been con- extremely um, right-brained, extremely left-handed. Um, I mean, I'm ambidextrous in the sense that, like, I I play racquetball with my right hand and bowl with my right hand. That's just how I, I learned it. But writing and painting and eating left-handed and um, uh, in the past if I would even try to do anything with my right hand it would it would make me nauseous and give me vertigo it's like it those those hemispheres of my brain like to be very separated like don't mix us up but when you have a situation like this well I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to adapt to this because I've got to learn to use my right hand so I was reading online, there's whole theories about how using your non-dominant hand, because your non-dominant hand is connected to the non-dominant part of your subconscious, that there's a whole theory, and there's as many articles as there are online about it, there's just as many debunking it, which is typical for the internet. So I'm not saying, I'm not stating this as fact, I'm saying this is just something for your consideration. But there's a whole theory, and people have written books on it, that if you make yourself use your non-dominant hand, it stimulates the other hemisphere in your brain, and that it can even create new brain cells, it can open new neuropaths, it can increase creativity. And um, so the, the articles that I've read that embrace that, it really resonates with me. The articles that debunk it, I think, well, Jesus appeared... And many believed, comma, but some doubted. So there's always going to be somebody somewhere in the crowd saying, I don't believe in that. Um, 
but it's made me think, well, all right, uh, I'm going to go, for, I'm going to choose that reality. I'm going to say this is going to increase my creativity, um, that it's opening new neuropaths in my brain. It's definitely, I can tell it's already made me more empathetic because with every challenge that I have physically, I think, good Lord, what do people do who really, who actually lose an appendage? Like that's, that's a whole other level of reality. I can't, I, I can't imagine. Oh yeah, and still feel it, which is interesting you brought that up. I wasn't planning on mentioning that, but that is interesting that some people, when they have an arm or a leg amputated, still feel it, still aware of it, and which is a great um, case to be made for a spirit body that's just as real as a physical body. Uh, maybe I'll talk about that some more next week. But anyway, um, uh, so I was really thinking this week about what does it mean to rethink things? Because the word repentance in the scriptures just means rethink. Now, if you were raised like I was, repentance, repentance was a word that you always said with a shaky voice. Repent. <laughs> and it was, it was never a happy word. Repent always meant you're doing something wrong and you better get it right. There's an all seeing eye that's watching all the time. You better repent, get your house in order. We, I don't know what Jesus you grew up with, but, um, it was funny. Chandra told us the uh, the guy who put Barry, what's his name, that plays her son on Bra, which again, if you watch Bra, Chandra saved, Miss Alice is not. Bra is a hard R, so don't don't shoot the messenger. If you said, "Bitch, I watched it with my family," nope, not a family show, but very funny. And the guy who plays her son. She had told me about this. We looked for it last night on, on uh, uh, YouTube where he was on America's Got Talent. He's a stand-up comedian. But he also grew up playing in church. So he's sitting there, uh, oddly enough, on crutches because he just had some kind of, uh, uh, what was it? So, which I could relate to. I thought, well, he just went on anyway, you know. Crutches and all. But he sat down, he, he sat down, you could tell just immediately when he's playing the keyboard, like, yeah, he grew up in church. There's just, there's just a way that people sound when they innately know that keyboard. And, uh, it's a whole, I'm about to do major racial stereotypes here, so just give me, cut me some slack. There's a whole other world of playing by ear in black church that you don't find in whites, maybe some white Pentecostal churches. But like you go to, if you go to a, a black church that's got a really cooking band over there and a guy, usually it's a guy, sometimes a woman, but there's a guy on a Hammond organ over there and that, and, and you're going to sing. You don't tell them what key you're going to sing in. They find you. They just start singing. You're like, yeah, but it's not. Now, if you go to, typically, if you go to white church, it's like, well, I don't play in that key. <laughs> black church is like, I don't know what key I'm in, but. Just play it. I can play it. And it's amazing. It amazes me so much that when I, I've preached in more black churches than I have in white churches in my adult life. And usually that guy on the organ will stay there and I'm like, I love you so much, but you're going to mess with my ADD. You can't. I'm not going to. I love that. I wish I could do that thing, but I can't. You're going to have to stop. Sometimes they think I'm kidding and they'll do, you know, they'll do a run on the organ. I'm like, no, seriously. 
I'm, I'm not playing. Stop it. Um, but it's amazing to me. It's just a different, uh, you know, one exception to that is my Aunt Clarice, because she can play any any piece of music you put in front of her, but she can also play by ear, which means you're using two hemispheres of your brain. So uh, in this thing, you can find it online. What's his last name? Barry? I uh, can't think of his name. Uh, but he sits down and he says, I've, I've played in white churches and in black churches. And he said, in white church, this is what it sounds like. And he, he quotes John 3.16. And it's funny how much the crowd was with him. And um, uh, he, you know, he's saying it very nicely, you know, for God to so love the world. And he's playing very nicely. And he says, if you, I'm not going to try to imitate him. He said, if you go to black church, he puts on a totally different voice. And he said, he said, look, all the white people are like, wow, why is y'all's Jesus so angry? <laughs> y'all's Jesus has been through a lot. It was very funny. And he got four votes. They thought he was hysterically funny. And it was amazing how much the crowd, did y'all see it? It's amazing how much the crowd was with him. Because when he's quoting that scripture, they're all like, you know, amening him. Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R. Yeah, he's very funny. Uh, I wish he had sung. You can tell he's multi-talented. But anyway, um, I'm sorry, I keep feeling of this. I had a I had some tube in my mouth during surgery, and I don't know what they did, but is that what it is? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sonia. Huh? Yeah. Oh. Man, they do all kind of stuff to you when you're out, don't they? Good Lord. <laughs> Well, that's true. I can't imagine. Anyway, so I was thinking about the word repent. Because we know, I've been teaching this for years, repent comes from the word metaneo, the Greek word which means change your life by changing the way you think. It really has nothing to do with sin necessarily. Um, and I, I feel like I got some revelation on this. I've never, I've never been aware that I've had before. Let me show it to you first from the, um, uh, New King James Version. This is Acts chapter three, verses 19 through 21. It says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since, since the world began. Now that um, verse 20 there, where Jesus is held in the heavens until the restoration of all things, that's sort of the classic quintessential verse for Christian universalism or ultimate reconciliation. That, you know, every school, theological school of thought has its main scripture. That's that, you know, everything's based on that. And this is, like if you ever used to listen to my uncle Bishop Paul preach, that, that was one of his 
main scriptures that Jesus is held in the heavens until all things are restored. And that when that, because Uncle Earl actually believed in a physical return of Jesus. Um, and his, his theory was um, Jesus cannot return to the earth until all things have been restored. Which I'm not, I think you know this by now. My, my theology is all yes and. It's not either or. That's why it's pointless to argue with me about the Bible because I probably agree with you on some level on something. If I don't agree with you, I at least know why you think that. Um, but back to, go back to the previous uh, screen, please. It says, repent that your sins may be blotted out. All right, so I'm thinking about this, and I'm getting to what this has to do with using my right hand. Because all of this is connected. This is not just the, the meds talking. This is the Holy Ghost. These men are not drunk with wine, seeing it as about the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Somebody stop me. I'm hallucinating. Whether in the body or out of the body, I know not. <laughs> Only God knows. Anyway, I was thinking about this and I thought, why would you have to repent for your sins to be forgiven? Because if, like, let's, let's go with the traditional idea that Jesus was a sacrifice for sins, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. If, if that's what you believe, why would you need to repent? Why wouldn't you just believe on Jesus? Y'all with me? Like, why would that involve metaneo? And if you believe, like, what I believe is that we were never fallen in the first place, that the fall was just a perception, who told you you were naked? Well, then you certainly wouldn't need to repent to get your sins forgiven. What's that? This is what I believe this means. And I, how did I not see this? The repentance is when you learn to forgive yourself. It has to be talking about you. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were unrighteous? Who told you you were sinful? Why do you have to change your mind? I remember uh, years ago, I was listening to Joyce Meyer teach. And she said that, she said I, she had done something that she wasn't proud of, and she asked Jesus to forgive her. You know, some of us grew up on 1 John 1, 9. If we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And um, she said she confessed her sin, and within a few hours she needed to pray about something, and she said to the Lord, this, I, this is what she said, she said, I want to ask you for this, but I still, I still feel bad about what I did. And she said, the Lord said back to me, how long do you think you're supposed to feel bad about something that you did? And she said, I don't know, three or four days usually takes for me. And he says, that's fine if you need that. But that's coming from your perception. I never thought that. Say what? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yes. And hermeneutics is the right word. It's the same, because I know what you're referring to. It's the same principle that I've quoted you on a million times. Why does no man know the, the day or the hour of his return? Because it's different for every person. It's, it's not a set date. It's an individual, unique thing to each person when the day star arises in their heart. Um, again, which is why I don't argue with the Bible, because I think if you haven't gotten that far in Revelation, there's no point in me arguing with you about this, because you don't, you don't have the capacity to even understand this. I mean, Revelation enlarges your ability to think in the abstract. And when people haven't exercised that muscle, they don't know how to see what you're seeing. It's like it just, That's why they get so frustrated. That's why they get so angry. Uh, that's why the scripture says comfort the feeble-minded, because religious people are very feeble-minded. I know that sounds like I'm casting shade on them, but they are. They're not, when somebody collapses into religious legalism, they're not, not only spiritually, but they're not intellectually evolved enough to even be able to understand things like hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a, it's a, uh, theological term of, it's, it means the way you, what you apply to one passage, if it's, if it's applicable to one part of the passage, it's applicable to all parts of the package or passage, or if it's applicable to, to one concept, it's all parts of, con which I believe is what you're talking about. So I, I mean, this just went off inside of me, and I, I talked about it one night at 11.11, and I thought, they're not ready for this. I know y'all are, but I mean, it's, it's like, this is huge. Because why would I need to repent if it's just about, like, let's go with the evangelical idea that it's just about Jesus. You know, in my flesh dwells no good thing, and you know, I'm dressed in his righteousness. So, all right, well, if that's the case, fine. Then still, why would you need to repent? Why did Jesus say repent for the kingdom is at hand? In other words, you just, well, let me show you. Buckle your seatbelts. Let me show you this same passage, Acts 3, verse 19 through 21, in the voice, the voice translation. So now you need to Rethink everything. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Drive safely. I'll see you next week. What? That's the truest definition of repentance. Repentance is not something you did at an altar in a church somewhere. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's constantly rethinking things. So as, as early as this, as recently as this morning, when I'm eating my Cheerios, you know, I'm thinking, well, I got it. I ate them all with my right hand because I have learned to rethink Cheerios. I prefer to eat them with my left hand, Sam. I am. But it's, but I'm seeing this. You know what I told him the other night? Don't, don't hold me to it yet. I'm going to paint a painting just using my right hand. That I would have never thought. I, even saying that would have made me nauseous a year ago. Now I'm like, no, I'm going to pay. And it may, ju it may just be a, a, a sign and a wonder to myself. But what it's saying, what it's going to do, it's I'm going to paint out of a different hemisphere of my brain. That means there is more in your subconscious than you're even aware of. The breadth and length and depth and height is a lot broader, wider, longer, and, and deeper. 
So now you need to rethink everything and turn to God so your sins will be forgiven. Why? So that you can forgive yourselves. You've been holding stuff against yourself that God hadn't thought of in years. Woman, where are your accusers? I don't have any. Well, neither do I condemn you. I mean, when you see it, the scriptures, it's everywhere in the scriptures. The creator doesn't go into the Garden of Eden and say, I knew something was up. I felt it. I felt something in the bottom field when y'all ate that fruit. He said, where are you? Nothing. Nothing's changed. I, we hid from you because we were naked and afraid. Who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were afraid? I told me that. I used to say it was the serpent. I'm like, no, the serpent didn't tell them that. They told them that. That, listen, baby, that's when you know you have grown up. When you stop blaming a snake for everything that happens to you. When you read it, the King James says, now the serpent was more subtle than any of the other animals in the garden. I just think about the reptile slithering up. It's the it's the most, and I know there's other religions that see the serpent as a very positive thing. That's tomato, tomato to me. My point is the subtlety of a thought, a wrong thought that you have about yourself can keep you in bondage for years, and it never came from God. Do you see why it had to be a serpent? You could hear an elephant coming. You could feel a kangaroo jumping up to you. Snakes slither up right beside you. You don't even notice it. No, you know what I'm thinking about? I think about some of the authority figures in your life that just dumped a whole bag of snakes into your consciousness. And there's all kind of wrong things slithering around that never was true, never was true, never was true. Because it slithered up in you. The serpent was the most subtle of all the creatures. Well, and if I'm just, yes, exactly. And if I'm just going to really torture the snake metaphor, you think about how like a python works wraps around you and slowly sucks the life out of you? Exactly. Which is why you need to rethink everything. I'm not saying God took the cartilage out of my shoulder. This was not something God did to me. But I didn't have shoulder reconstruction surgery. I had to rethink everything. That's what this was about. And I guarantee you, whatever your present crisis is, it's probably the same thing. It's probably something that's not even about the actual thing. It's about you've got to learn a new way to think about things. Those of you that have raised children, don't you have to constantly rethink them? I mean, you're constantly having to rethink them. I remember... Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that teenagers today don't seem to care as much about driver's license. I meet 16, 17-year-olds that don't, 20-year-olds that, no, I don't, I don't drive. I don't think, it's like, I'm like, that's a whole other, I mean, in my world, especially with my younger two boys, I mean, on their 16th birthday, they're like, are we going, are we going now? And I remember when Jonah, he went and passed his test, and as soon as 
I brought him back home. He's backing out of the driveway. And, it's, and I remember Debbie and I looked at him like, wait, what? We, we, it's, it's like it all happened so fast. Uh, I didn't, you didn't ask me if you could take my car. Like, what the heck? What, ju- what just happened? And I had to completely change the way that, I'm not saying we didn't have rules for him. I'm just saying I had to completely rethink the way I thought about him. Because I think, well, I guess he's going to have to figure it out. And he has, you know, all these years, he's 33 years old. I mean, he's, he's figured out how to drive. <laughs> but so now you need to rethink everything and turn to God so that your sins will be forgiven and a new day can dawn, days of refreshing, times flowing from the Lord. Then God may send Jesus, the anointed, whom God has chosen for you. He is in heaven now and must remain there until the day of universal restoration comes. The restoration which in in ancient times God announced through the holy prophets. All right. That's great, Bishop, but what's that got to do with miracles? I'm glad you asked. The only way... Well, let me show you these. I have three memes I want to show you that have um, quotes on them. They will make my point. This is by Jandy Nelson. Simply says this. You have to see the miracles for there to be miracles. And the more you see them, the more you will see them. To them that have, will more be given. To them that have not, will be taken away. Well, nothing ever happens to me. I never see miracles. That's going to cost you another six months of no miracles. That's going to cost you that. Yeah, but I never see. Oh, there was a, there's a year. There's a year without miracles. Yeah, but if I say everything's a miracle, people are going to think I'm crazy. Well, then you won't get any miracles. People who live in the miraculous don't care if people think they're crazy. I don't care. People say to me, oh, that wasn't a miracle. Like, fine, I don't care. You live your old sad little non-miraculous life. I don't care. More for me. You think I care what you think? Please. Well, I just don't believe everything that happens to you is a miracle. Well, I do. Einstein said two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Let me show you the next one by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Miracles are not meant to be understood. They are meant to be believed. Ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you that there's some things in your life you're not supposed to understand how they happen. You're supposed to say, thank you, thank you very much. You can spend all your life trying to dissect it and figure it out. Or you can say, well, I guess... Miracles, I'm daily loaded with them. I'm daily loaded with benefits. Miracles happen everywhere I look. I wake up in the morning and they're already, they're already ready to go. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. The next one, Noah Ben Shia. A miracle is often the willingness to see the common in an uncommon way. God spoke out of heaven. No, he didn't. That was just thunder. Well, whatever. You decide. Are you going to be voice of God people or are you going to be thunder people? You know, you know what I think? I think 
the very fact that we got up and came here today is a miracle. Isn't it? You think about the stuff that's going on in your life just this week, the stuff that I'm currently going through, with everything that we've all been through together, because some of y'all, I've jerked around theologically all over the place. Y'all were just like, well, I don't know. We thought you were cute and we got in the car with you, but you took a few turns. You took a few turns. We weren't like, whoa, I didn't know he was going to go left. Oh, we went right on that one. Okay. Y'all still with us? Yeah. Where else will we go? You have the words of life. <laughs> Not everybody stayed this long. Some people said, I'm getting car sick. I, <laughs> you got to, you got to let me out of this. Other of you said, "Yeah, I got a little woozy on that last curve, but I'm just kind of curious to see how this whole thing's going to play out." <laughs> just take a drama, mean. I've quoted Leona five million times with my favorite thing she ever said. Nearly is the first Sunday we had Metron. She walked in with that thousand kilowatt smile from ear to ear and she said i said oh, i'm so glad y'all are here she said i told ernie this morning business got us on an adventure we're going on an adventure i don't know where all he's taking us we're going on an adventure we did didn't we leona she she told me she's going to be my guardian angel so i guess i guess she is it's miraculous that we're here I met you in a group of men that I have no contact with now at all. I don't even know if you have contact with them. That whole thing was set up however many years ago. You were in my memories this morning, like seven years ago, taking pictures of that. Good Lord, BJ's taking a bunch of pictures. That was a miracle. That wasn't a miracle. That was fine. You live in your sad little gray life. I'm not trying to convince you. Miraculous eagles don't try to make chickens believe they exist. If you say to an eagle, you know, there's a bunch of these birds around this barnyard. They don't believe you exist. Eagle says, that's adorable. <laughs> but here's why I want to connect this passage about rethink everything. You have to rethink the miracles. And the way you rethink them is you begin to see them. And the more you see them, the more you see them. That's just the way it works. I love when somebody comes to me and says, this thing happened, I don't know, was that a miracle or not? I'm like, heck yeah, it was a miracle. You better put that over in the miracle column. As soon as, as, soon as you possibly can. I've told you so many times about when I lost my stuff on the river, but sometime later, and this has been about, it's probably been a couple of years ago now, maybe a year ago, um, I went to the Publix over here, homeless guy was in there, uh, asked if I'd get him something to eat. I said, I'll get you something to eat, but I've got to get these groceries first. I said, meet me at the counter, and whatever you're picking up, I'll... I'll get it for you. Okay, fine. So I, I have a little basket of stuff. My phone's in there. 
I um, I get to the counter, and I, this is before they had self-checkout. I laid it down. I bought my stuff. I bought his stuff. I go get in my car, and I look, and I thought, oh, crap, I left my phone in there. I run back in. Nobody's seen my phone. I don't know if you've ever, if I don't know if you, first of all, depend on your phone like I do. My phone is, that's my banking. That's all my, that's everything. It's like all my information. Whether you should or shouldn't have it, be that dependent on it, I am. And um, went in and uh, asked the cashier, I said, did anybody turn in a phone? No. Totally non-helpful. So I I went back to my car and I thought, all right, I, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. So I just started calling, calling it back. So I thought, where do I do this? Where do I begin? I love that little pregnant moment before I start running on the subway to find Jonah <laughs> or whatever it is. Like, how do I do this? How do I do this? First of all, you have to rethink everything. So I got back out of my car. There's a cop standing there talking to somebody. And I very patiently waited for him to get through talking. When he... The person left, he looked at me and he said, you looking for your phone? I said, yes. How do you know? He said, it's at the uh, service desk. Okay, thank you. I go to the service desk. woman says, this yours? Yes. How? Because my phone's on lock. If, it's, if you pick it up right now, all, it, you have to use a password to get in there. So I, to this day, I have no idea. So I, I went back, got in my car, and I called, I called Howie. I said, I've got to tell you what just happened. He said, of course it did. Why does that even surprise you? Of course what? He said, that's, not, that's nothing compared to you getting your stuff back from the river. I said, I know, but I just, can you imagine? I mean, I, to this day, I have no idea how the guy, how, how does a cop look at me and it's not even my, like, was he in my photos? I mean, there's not a picture of me on my screenshot. It's a, it was a, at that time it was a shot of Atlanta, Atlanta skyline. How does he look at me and say, your phone's at the service desk? Stuff like that happens to me a lot. Just somebody there at the right time. You say, well, that's just coincidence. Fine. You stay in your sad little, small little, gray little world of nothing ever happening. For some of us, we're rethinking everything that is, which brings me to the last thing. And this is um, a quote by the church father, St. Augustine, who says, Miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Do you understand why repentance is connected to the miraculous? This kind of seems like a small thing, but... Between my heart and my shoulder, I've had quite a few procedures this year. And 
I have, I'm on Ken's Blue Cross Blue Shield and it's great insurance. But even with that, you still have to pay a percentage, you know, when you go in places. And it, after a while, it adds up. It's never, it's never less than $500. It's usually a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand. Little by little, it's like, come on now. <laughs> Did we meet that deductible already? What's that? And I finally just let it go and, I owed um, a certain amount for this surgery, and um, the day I had to pay it, I looked at, I checked my balance every morning, and I thought, there's extra, where'd that money come from? And somehow, the day that I needed that money, they had reimbursed, the, it was nearly half of what I owed. And so then I called, I said, well, it looks like 1500 of this is... Um, deductible. I've already met that. She's all right. We'll take that off. I said, "Well, this is easy." I said, "Well, can I pay this in two amounts?" She said, "Yeah, sure." I thought I should keep talking. <laughs> Pretty soon they're going to pay, pay me to come in get this thing. <laughs> but the timing of you could say, "Well, that was just a rebate on your money." No, it was the timing of it. That morning I got up and and I thought. Well, I've got it in savings. I can take it out and uncover it. It's fine. I thought, well, I don't have to. I don't have to take anything out of savings. There it is. Uh, well, there it is. Is that a miracle? Heck yeah, that's a miracle. What does it take to convince you? And when you'll start, open up your mind this week. Holy Spirit will start reminding you. Remember that time that thing happened? And that one person called at that right time. That just, you know what, what? But here's the thing. Traditionally, we have said miracles are the suspension of natural law. I love what Saint Augustine said. It's like no, it's your perception of natural law. Anything's possible. One thing I, I taught on this years ago, but I, I was talking about how each one of the species of animals has certain criteria about it, like things like mammals are warm-blooded, they, they give live birth. Um, but with every one of those things, there'll be some um, exception to the rule. Well, yeah, mammals are warm-blooded, but porpoises are warm-blooded, whales are warm-blooded. They, they nurse their young. So they're like fish, but they're not fish. And a duck-billed platypus is a mammal that lays eggs and it has a bill. And I started thinking, like, every one of these, well, what flies? Birds fly. Not just birds. Bats are mammals. They fly. And it's like in every part of the animal kingdom, there's rules and then there's an exception to the rule. Just when you think, you know, fish, fish got to fly. No, what? Birds got to fly. Fish got no. Fish got to swim, birds got to fly. I got to love one man till I die. Can't help. What is that from? Showboat? Um, but the point is, you say, well, birds fly. Not, on, not only birds, flying squirrels fly. There's some kind of fish that fly. They're, guess what they're called? Flying fish. <laughs> yeah. So there's, just when you study your biology, you think, well, this is what each one of these genuses are, not necessarily, with every one of them, there's some exception of the rule. Doth not even nature teach you? 
that the miraculous is everywhere and the rules are being bent all the time. All things are possible. If I may refer to it one bazillionth time, when we left Bryson City, North Carolina, that day, when I had lost everything on the bottom of that Whitewater River, I said to the guy, the guys in the car, Ken and Howie and Jerry, I said, um, "I'm gonna, we're gonna go ahead and leave. We're gonna drive back to Blairsville, hour and a half away. Drop y'all off, and then we'll drive on back to Atlanta. Ken's gonna take off from work tomorrow, and we'll get the whole thing started with." getting a driver's license, canceling credit cards, doing the whole thing. But I also want to say something else. Before midnight tonight, I'm going to have all my stuff and everything's going to be working. And nobody disagreed with me. Nobody nobody said, well, then why are we leaving? How's that going to happen? And I'm like, I don't know. With the, who I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. Gabriel appears to a little girl and says, you're going to give birth. Maybe maybe she knew the facts of life by then. I don't know. Was she, If she was young enough to have a cycle, I'm, I'm, I'm sure in that, in that um, culture, I'm sure a mother would have probably told her, this is, how, this is where babies come from. I'm sure it did not include the appearance of an archangel. <laughs> that was not the birds and the bees. Mary... One day an angel's going to appear to you. No, that's not, that's not what mama said was going to happen. And the angel appears and he says, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and this miracle's going to be birthed out of you. And she says, how can this be seeing I know not a man? And what's her very next statement? Be it done unto your servant according to your word. Ten minutes to midnight that night, we're driving in my parking deck. I'm looking at my Apple Watch that was working. It had been under the river for three hours. Looking at the check in my wallet that the ink hadn't even run on. Uh, my phone, which was totally working. Everything was working. And I said, I would like to say for the record, it is before midnight. I have everything back from that river and everything is working. I go back to that over and over again because it's a touchstone to me to to say, you know what miracles are like. There's a reason why David said, I've never killed a giant, but I killed a bear and a lion. So I assume it's the same basic equations, right? And so you got to remember your miracles. Because if you don't remember them, you'll start thinking they don't happen. Or they're happening to other people. They're writing songs of love, but not for me. Sorry. Was that a star is born? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's your fault. You're drawing old movies out of me. I feel you. <laughs> um, but you can, you can think sometimes, I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It's like the miracle always happens to somebody else. No, it's not. It's happened to you all the time. You just haven't recognized them. Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. Remember? Because Elisha says, there's more with us than there was them. And he's like, what are you talking about? He, open his eyes. The mountainside is filled with warring angels in chariots. They were already there. 
There's a miracle sitting right next to you right now. There's a miracle in the car waiting for you. There's a miracle at home. There's a miracle in your job. There's a miracle in your bank account. There's a miracle in your body. There's a miracle with your son. There's a miracle with your daughter. There's a miracle in the plans that you've made. Miracle. The, the very atmosphere is pregnant with miracles and the womb of the Spirit is going into labor. Many of you are at seven centimeters, eight centimeters. You're nearly to full dilation when manifestation takes place. Miracles, miracles everywhere. Miracles, miracles everywhere. Rethink everything that you've ever thought. All things are possible. Let's all stand. Just lift your hands up and let's just embrace that word. Make contact with that word. Let that word saturate you. Feel that word from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Feel the strength of the supernatural. Feel the reality of not knowing the difference between whether in the body or out of the body. Our spirit says yes. Our heart says yes. Our mind says yes. We are open to reception. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing. Let's play the outro. Did you get anything out of this today? Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you've successfully completed your donation. You may also visit bishinthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. Amen. If you have a check, make it to JESM and they'll take it from you over there. If you have cash, just pay it forward. Anybody have any feedback? Anything you want to share? Rhonda? Okay. I'm telling you, that's how, that's how you do it. You've got to cause a disturbance in the unified quantum field and, and stimulate manifestation. Somebody else? Yeah.
Your spirit was repenting. You were forgiving yourself. Yeah. Yep. Sure. And that was really God. It wasn't her. That was God saying that yes. to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Like, why would you need to repent for your sins to be forgiven? If it's just about a sacrifice on the cross, that wouldn't require me to change my mind. But if I'm holding it again, if I'm holding something against myself, oh, I'm the problem. I need to forgive me. Anybody else? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And to your point about saying it tomorrow, there's also something about saying it before you say anything else. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but somehow, and I love that the guys who were with me did not disagree with me. They, they, not one of them said, how would, well, you're saying two different things. Yeah. Some people can talk you out of it. Like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I am being crazy. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know? Didn't you feel that? Yeah, I get it. I understand. I'm 
Yeah. It's kind of like when you're saying that, it's kind of like what Dispenza says the universe doesn't respond to what we want as much as it responds to who we are being. And, you know, that that's how I interpret righteousness consciousness. You know, it's like, but anyway, yeah, I, get, I feel you. And probably a lot of people would identify with that from this past week, too. Anybody else? All right. Well, I think you may go now. I think there's coffee over there. All right. God bless you. Go in peace.